let them take you back to the golden era. Well, it's been a little while, hasn't it, guys? Uh, well, this is three months late, but nevertheless, welcome to another episode of the Golden Era Podcast. It's Jose here. We are back for 2020. And I know it just wouldn't be an episode of the Golden Era if I didn't have uh, one of our partners in crime, Jake, with me. How are you doing? Hey, what is up? Oh, my God. Well, I'm glad we're finally friggin' doing this. It took like 800 years. This is like longer than the wait for Emelina, I feel like. I feel like I don't think any of us have ever been so busy in our lives. And that's saying something when you had Wedding of the Century just about a year or so ago, too. I know. Like, honestly, I feel like I was, like, recording, like, during, like, the. I think I recorded one the week of the wedding, now that I think about it. Like, that's when we were doing, um, I think that's when we were doing the other podcast. Because we started this one, like, literally right after my wedding. And... I mean, really? No, yeah, it was like last January, right? Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Has but... A year? Is this a year? Fuck. <laughs> We're terrible. No, wait, for uh, this, I think the year's in April? You're right. So... We started We started talking it was about it. Yeah, we started talking about it. Okay. All right, we didn't miss it. I was like, fuck, did we miss our anniversary? Literally, like, we're professionals here. We only announced that we're going to talk about Lita and Trish and then actually remember that shit happens. And we can't talk about that till it actually comes further down the line. So for those of you that were looking for the actual main event episode that we were going to be planning with our good friend Aaron from Diva Dirt, uh, well, one thing led to another. And in true Diva Dirt weekly fashion, the recording is trashed. So... No fault to any of our hosts. Uh, of course, Chris and Chastity have been beyond busy lately as well, too. So we do have a very special guest joining us for this episode. You've seen him at CWF Mid-Atlantic. He's the recipient of my first ever professional wrestling promo. Please welcome Con O'Kelly to the show by choice for once, not invading us like the last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of by choice. Well, you know, it's an undisclosed amount of money here, but... I am contractually obligated to be here now, and I have promised that I will be on my best behavior. So I'm ready to do this, guys. Yes, for once we agreed on uh, the context of the term rub, so we are all good here. And (laughs) let's see, we left off with uh, quite a little bit going on in 2003. So I believe right around uh, after WrestleMania 19, uh, we had Trish winning back the women's title at WrestleMania in that great triple threat match. We also mm-hmm. had uh, the lovely, uh, clearly Khan's not a fan or anything, uh, Sable returning after Tori Wilson unveiled her Playboy cover. So I think we are uh, going a little bit further into the spring and summer of 2003. So uh, right after Trish won the title back at WrestleMania, Jazz ended up being here for the title at Backlash. Uh, with a little help from her new manager, Theodore Long, and they would uh, exchange a few rematches here, uh, as well as at Insurrection. Uh, probably, I think that's the last UK exclusive pay-per-view they've done in you WWE. Know, I think you're right. I'll be honest, I hated Insurrection pay-per-views. <laughs> like, I feel like they never mentioned them on TV, and then I was like, oh shit, that happened, you know? <laughs> yeah, kind of like the Saudi Arabia a little bit, but... Uh, 
you know, without the whole blood money being forced down my throat, but that's a different story. It's a uh, shame they didn't promote um, these like they did with, like they didn't treat the UK pay-per-views like the Saudi Arabia ones, where they're like, hey guys, like we actually have something going on overseas. Because I feel like all we get is like a recap on Raw, and sometimes shit would actually happen. And I'm like, I wasn't paying attention. Like, Yeah, because like, I think my thing was, oh, go ahead, Con. Yeah, Trish and Jazz had a excellent match. I mean, that is one of the matches, like, when I'm doing tape study, I go back and watch all the time, and it just really inspires me. Um, that that match was amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys remember it. Uh, yeah, I was just watching it, actually, before we started recording, too. So, fun facts about this one. I think this was probably the first match in, I don't know how long, maybe the first of its era that opened a pay-per-view and it's probably the longest women's match of the golden era at 10 minutes and 45 seconds too with a really great back and forth battle jazz would end up retaining uh when victoria kind of comes down and it distracts the referee theodore long uh, shoves trish into the ring post for that pin which would kind of foreshadow certain things going on later but really i was surprised at how long they went and like how hot the crowd was too is a really nice back and forth encounter so going along into that, uh, speaking of Victoria, it, you know, it's just not an episode of this show unless we talk about Victoria and Trish beating the hell of each other. So uh, we'll take it over to Monday Night Raw in Philadelphia. Jake, were you actually at this Raw? I was at this Raw. So, like, I was waiting all night, too, because, like, there was so much boring shit before it. Like, I don't care about LOD. Like, there was, like, all this, like, dumb stuff, all these men's matches. Like, there was a Goldberg promo. Like, literally no one cares. Um, so, you know, we're waiting all night for the women, but we were not disappointed. We had a hardcore match with Victoria and Trish. Um, you know, I think Tommy Dreamer got involved also. But, yeah, it was really fun. Um, and even, like, I love what I really loved about this match, too, though, is, like, you know, obviously we've talked about how Victoria and Trish had all these great matches, you know, when Victoria was women's champion, these stipulations – but how sick is it that that continued and Victoria was still getting these opportunities even after dropping the title? Like, that's fantastic. Um, and it really, like, you know, leading up to the next pay-per-view, Judgment Day, kind of got her more involved and Jacqueline got involved with Jazz, you know, because we had a fatal four-way coming up, which is fabulous. Yeah, but I'm just surprised at how often these two would have these stipulation matches, mm. and each one felt fresh. They have, I mean, Trish and Victoria could probably wrestle two wet mops and make it look like a five-star classic, but, I mean, they still found ways to be creative with certain spots. Like, you would see uh, when Victoria had Trish in, like, an electric chair and would toss her face first into a trash can lid. Uh, you would see, like, the Maytrish ducking under the same trash can lid. Like, it actually felt like a pretty fresh encounter as well. Uh, right. Do you have any memories of watching this uh, around that time as well? Uh, I was, at this point, I was a strictly a SmackDown boy, but I have since gone back and watched it many times over the years. Um, I think it just really speaks to the chemistry that Trish and Victoria had. Um, you know, Victoria with that character, that crazy character, um, those hardcore matches really lent to their chemistry and, and her character. I mean, it was just a perfect, perfect fit. And I mean, yes. a certain uh, chick kick didn't hurt either, too, uh, that we might have seen replicated to members of uh, this podcast uh, hosting staff. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know where to go from here. But uh, yeah, so these have been getting a lot more physical. We would see uh, Jacqueline starting to get involved as well, too, because one in doubt and a few needs to be progressed on Raw, uh, insert Jacqueline. Usually things will pick up a little bit. And it would lead to probably one of my favorite Fatal Four Ways of all time at Judgment Day. But first, 
we have a very special moment at Judgment Day. I don't know if uh, you gentlemen want to take this away, but a certain uh, contest, a little unveiling action, if you will. Oh, my God. It was so good. Um, So, yeah, there was a bikini contest between A, Playboy Centerfold, and the Playboy Centerfold. Um, It was so good. I love that promo also. And, like, when Tori accepted, she, like, just, like, pulled down her little pink jumpsuit and her bra. (laughs) Like, that's how I'm going to answer all questions from now on. Just like <laughs> taking my clothes off. Um, but it was so good. Um, of course, who can forget the iconic entrance and live performance of Tori Wilson's entr- entrance music by Lillian Garcia. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I probably am. Is this the first time a woman had their entrance music performed? Ooh. You know, I think it might be. And then especially it's kind of ironic because Lillian being a uh, raw ring announcer too. I think this is actually one of her first pay-per-view appearances as well. This was first, this was the first inter-promotional pay-per-view, I think. Um, so yeah, no, wait, no, this was the last inter-promotional pay-per-view. I'm sorry. Before yeah, I'm, we started doing them like together separate. Well, I think it's interesting because Howard Finkel was always ring announcing on the actual pay-per-view. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that Lillian, obviously we all know Lillian saying uh, that, that classic bop need a little time. So seeing uh, two divas from different brands interacting is cool in one way, but that live performance with uh, the silhouettes in the background, uh, I think real raw and inspiring really does it justice in this case. You know, we've seen the, Oh, go ahead. It really showed like how tall Tori is too. Like I just, it never really clicked. And then like seeing her next to Lillian, I was like, Oh my God, Lillian looks so short. Like, (laughs) so cute though. Um, but it was good. I, I listened to that live performance sometimes. Um, <laughs> so good. I mean, all you need is just a little bathrobe, a shower curtain. You know, it's great. It's quality content, really. It's sexy. But so anyway, so then the bikini contest. Um, now, you guys know me. I always think the heel should win in the bikini contest. Let's be honest. They're always dressed a little skimpier. The girls usually do something, the face usually does something like technically probably a little illegal to win. So Sable shows her bikini and holy shit, she looked so good. It's like this like tiger print thing. She's all sexy. She's all oiled up. She's so muscular. It's so good. Like she looks literally like um, her ripped and ruthless action figure, which I don't know if you guys don't know what that is, Google it, but it's like a really jacked Sable figure. And like, she's got like a teardrop cut out of her leather pad suit. It's so sexy. But that's like what she's serving here. Um, Tori, you know, she looks amazing as well. She's got like a bikini on, but then she's not quite finished and takes off her bikini to reveal a skimpier bikini. Okay, bullshit. You had your time to show your bikini and now you're asking for more time to show another one? No, that's illegal. See, uh, Khan, as the resident Sable stan of uh, this podcast, uh, can you vouch for your uh, your diva's honor in this case? Uh, Sable owned the joint. In the words of Tori Wilson, Sable went out there and owned the joint. I don't understand the the hate that she got uh, just because Tori Wilson unveiled a skimpier, uh, if you want to call it a bikini, I just call it fabric. Um, Sable was robbed. I don't know, what is it, 20 years later? Sable did, was robbed. Did she I get stick- hate, though? I, I feel like Sable got, like, a really decent pop. Like, I, it was actually, like, really close the first time. It, it, like, I mean, um, the 
I'm just glad that we didn't have to hear King on commentary uh, with the word puppies constantly over and over and over again. But I, I don't like. I didn't mind Taz's pervy commentary as much, because like it was always just like it was like. I mean, like, it was so stupid. It was, like, almost like you were listening to, like, your dad, like, seafoam green, seafoam green, you look hot in seafoam green. Like, it's Yeah, like, two oh, tomatoes like, and then Michael Cole's yeah. classic, oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> like, it was never, like, I was never, like, okay, I feel like I'm being sexually molested just listening to you. So, like, but, yeah, I don't, I mean, pervy commentary, never okay, but... If it's gonna happen, which it did, Taz over Jr. Uh, Jerry Lawler, when they all suck. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. Do you guys remember when they would go back and forth saying, uh, "Look at Tori, look at Dawn, look at Tori, look at Dawn"? Oh. I, I, I... Look at Al. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh boy, I love that. Oh, so good. Poor Nydia. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily poor Nydia. I mean, I'm she might not have been included in this uh, bikini contest, but I'm sure she had a, a lucky encounter later on. Sh- she always gets the shaft in these bikini contests, I feel like, because I think she always looked great. And they're always, like, talking about Tori, and she gets booed, poor Nydia. And, like, Dawn gets, like, Dawn, well, Dawn was, like, sex appeal queen. Like, I love Dawn Marie. Like, if I was a woman, my wardrobe would be Dawn Marie's wardrobe. Like... <laughs> Well, I mean, to kind of get a little ahead of ourselves, speaking of getting the shaft with Nydia, I mean, we would see uh, Nydia and Jamie Noble, uh, the king and queen of uh, the trailer park land and SmackDown, uh, actually start to feud a little bit more with Tori Wilson. And we would see Tori bring in uh, reinforcements from uh, Mr. Ass, Billy Gunn. Oh, my God. I loved her with Billy Gunn. They even made a two-pack of action figures based off their time together. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, she was, like, announcing... I remember when the night they got together, she was announced the guest ring announcer for the match, because, like, it was after her stable feud. They didn't really know what to do with her yet. And she, it was, like, Billy Gunn versus Adrian. And I, I remember it because she was not going to bring announcing. And she was like, and his next opponent, he has a lot of back hair. A train. Like, <laughs> and I was like, ooh, not your best fit. But then, like, she was all flirty with Billy Gunn. I'm like, they're cute together. I don't hate this. Um, but, yeah, no, it was fun. And then they feuded with Jamie Noble. And, um, you know, it somehow it led to a match at uh, Vengeance. And then it led to a foursome. <laughs> no, we are not making this up, folks. Mm-hmm. It was, um, yeah, so I guess Jamie Noble won the right to, like, have a night with Tori. Because, um, you know, wow, that is, like, a lesser talked about, like, version oh, yeah. of Lita and Kane almost. Like, that's so gross. <laughs> what the hell? Um, I mean, to be fair, there weren't any uh, pro- uh, potential spawns out of this storyline. Well, I know, but, like, it's, it's just, like... They, you know, like, well, they did another thing like that too. Is like when X Pac beat Kane, and like he won the right to like have Tori spend the holidays with him. Not Tori Wilson, Tori with one R. Um, Not Tori like... with one I over the. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, these oh, these poor girls. But um, anyway, so Tori, you know, she's downing a bottle of champagne. She's nervous. Nydia shows up, and Billy Gunn shows up, and then it just turns into a foursome. And you know what? I never heard about the man-on-man action at this foursome, and I'm a little disappointed because I had the biggest crush on Jamie Noble. I know, judge me, but ugh. Who kept the cowboy boots on, by the way. I know, 
like, I'm sorry. This is like premium Sean Cody. And they didn't even like gloss over it. Like, what the fuck? Oh my God. I'm. Oh. This is a professional show, ladies and gentlemen. The views of Jake Smith do not necessarily reflect those of the Golden Era <laughs> Podcast LLC. Uh, into. Goodness gracious, Con! I, some, can we please class this up? Uh, can we? Well, for starters, was this before or after Billy and Chuck's storyline? This was after Billy and Chuck's storyline. Um, oh, so Billy like, Gunn always did have uh, kind of those. Uh, yeah. So you know what? Like if he liked, you know, he was with the tall guy before. And now he might like the little guy, which is fine. Like I think we got to see Jamie Noble in his underwear, so who cares? Like, um, <laughs> but uh, anyway. Um, so back to Judgment Day. Oh, uh, yes. We had a, that one hell of a fatal four-way, which I'm shocked oh was... So good. So good. Um, I mean... Oh, go ahead, Jake. Well, before we get into the match show itself, can we just talk about how all four of these women were serving looks that night? I loved all four attires in this match. Like... I'm- you don't really see that for pay-per-views nowadays where like they actually put a lot of effort into certain gears where you feel like they just kind of save it for the big four now. Right. I agree. You know, side note, I'm pissed at Lacey Evans for not debuting a new attire at the rumble. She blew it. But anyway, um, (laughs) do you really blame her if she didn't win? Yes, though. This was a big match for her. And she usually, like, brings the looks. Like, look at all of her outfits from, like, her feud with Becky. Those were amazing. Like, I mean, I oh, love yeah, many of the looks. Yeah. So, like, I'm glad she rewore that. That was probably my favorite look of hers, the one she wore at the Rumble. But I was just, I psyched myself up, like, oh, she's going to have new gear. And then I was like, oh, I've seen this. But, um, I whatever. Andrew was too busy with AEW. Oh, yeah, that... I'm I'm I really want to like AEW. I really want to like their women's division, but they really need to start using them more on Dynamite, and not just like have like an extra match here or there on Dark, because there's so much talent there. Like that's a quick little aside, and also shout out to Nyla Rose for winning the AEW Women's World Title, and the amount of transphobic, ignorant shit we've seen online <sighs> because of that. Oh. Like, it's disgusting, so one, that in 2020, people still don't understand the concept of a woman being a woman, regardless of how they were born. But it's just, it regresses where we are in wrestling just because of how blindsided and uh, uneducated these fans tend to be so openly. I think I'm, I'm just like, I'm not shocked. Like, don't get me wrong. It's just, it's, it's disgusting that, there are so many, but on the other hand, though, I will say it actually is very nice to see so many also sticking up for Nyla mm-hmm. and yeah. being accepting of this. You know that that surprised me a little bit. Um, I think there's a stigma around wrestling fans that you know they're not the best, and I'm not gonna lie. Like uh, my only wrestling fan friends are like gays and like woke women like so like besides that like i don't associate with the heteros like most of them i'm there's a few nice ones but like most of them are just like you know like ass backwards and views um and it's unfortunate but it is nice to see things progressing and we still have a very long way to go this has shown but you know kudos to aew for doing something historic um although please get a new belt <laughs> oh, it's way too small. It's so tiny. She posted a picture with it, and I'm like, oh my god, she's wearing a bracelet. Like, no, because like at first they showed it in the 
and the display case, I thought it was like, ooh, you can't really make it out. Then they showed the close up. I'm like, okay, this looks all right. Then when the first title match came out, just like, did someone shrink it in the dryer? Or like, mm-hmm. I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah. But, but, but you yeah. know what we didn't hate, Jake? What? Judgment Day 2003's Fatal 4-Way for the WWE Women's title. What a match. Holy shit. Okay, you know, so I feel like the best spot of this match, and my favorite spot of this match, was when Trish went for the Stratisfaction and got tossed to the outside. Holy shit, I felt that. Like, (laughs) Like, literally, I think that's one of the moments where Trish lost a tooth. Yeah, I think she did, actually. I think you're right. Like... (laughs) What, it just shows, like, these women were so hard-hitting in this match, too. Like, they, and they were given the death slot, if I remember correctly. They so they, they went out there, and they, like, you know, had to, like, kick ass, keep the crowd excited. And I think they did just that. It was a really impressive match. And three really tough challengers. So I was even a little surprised Jazz retained, because she wasn't the focal point, really, of Raw or SmackDown leading up to this as women's champion. So, yeah, it was, I, I love this match so much. Like, this then, is one of those ones I can go back and watch whenever. Agreed. And then Connor, someone who's gotten their feet wet in the ring, uh, they've had uh, encounters with or multi-person matches and as well as kind of strict time limits. What really goes into trying to make sure that everyone's hitting their spots as they should and uh, trying to keep track of not really going over or anything, too? Oh, my gosh. Well, number one, the referees. Giving it, like, they, referees are unsung heroes. Um, but, you know, it's really just, you know, getting to the show early and working out that match as much as possible. You're going to need at least one leader in that ring that's, you know, pretty much calling it um, and reminding everybody, hey, be here. Hey, be there. Um, but as far as that Trish bump, that, that iconic Trish bump off of the, the stratisfaction or the misstratisfaction, there is no way really to protect yourself off of that. You can do what you can, but... Uh, really hands hands up to her for being able to take that bump and especially in that era like good god no because i feel like as you can kind of see like when victoria throws her over the top rope you can see trish's like swing down like she's supposed to step on the apron it just looks like she had a little too much momentum and that's part of when she went flying face first into the zone too and that kind of a lesser talked about bump from that match is the finish when uh, Jazz like nails Jacqueline with a hard DDT and you just see her crumble. Oh my god, yeah. Like, I forgot was, how oh. physical this match was. It really, when you put people in there, first of all, I think these are probably four of the most physical women in WWE history and like the ones really not afraid to like take a beating, um, especially Jacqueline. So if anyone was going to take that move, a great choice. Yeah, so Jazz would end up retaining the women's championship there, and it would lead us into uh, the beginning of actually a pretty interesting summer in regards to the Raw Women's Division. So, Oh, holy shit, yeah. So we will uh, fast forward a little bit into uh, June of 2003 before we get into uh, some of the things happening with the uh, women's championship picture. Uh, we need to talk about uh, future WWE Hall of Famer Stacey Keebler uh, after this uh, era here. Stacey started to... Uh, well, she would. She liked her chairs and her tables, and uh, well, she had legs and she knew how to use them, right, Chick? Oh, absolutely. You know, people often like like we talked about Stacey going into the Hall of Fame like a weird amount on the show, but I, I love Stacey Keebler so much, and I, this is one of the reasons why. She 
you know, wasn't usually in the women's championship picture, but she always had a storyline going on and she always played her part so well. So at this time, you know, she was Tess's girlfriend or whatever, and she decides to form a tag team of Scott Steiner and Tess. Uh, they take on La Resistance at um, Judgment Day. She's in their corner. And, you know, so she's got this team, but like, Tess starts to get jealous because what an asshole. And, you know, Stacy's all uncomfortable. So she starts, you know, messing with Tess. She comes out with Scott Steiner and does like a chair dance for him on the stage during one of Tess's matches. You know, Tess is just like obsessed with her. They have a match at Bad Blood, which is the first raw pay per view. Um, there were no women's matches on the main card, which was shit. Hey. But yeah, um, kind of a common trope for a few matches this or yeah. a few pay-per-views this summer. So much. Yeah. Like so, which is so weird too, because I think of 2003 as such a big year for the women. I feel like there was there was a lot of big moments, there was a lot of feature things, but they were not on a lot of pay-per-views that year. So it's weird that we make that correlation. But anyway, um, so Stacy is in the middle of this like love triangle thing for pretty much the entire summer. Um, and it leads up to Unforgiven, um, you know, they have a match for Stacey Keebler. Oh my God! <laughs> That's another common trend, which, what I mean... the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but God. anyway, the best part of this, though, I don't know if you guys remember it, but I know Chris does, because him and I have talked about it an unhealthy amount. The video package for the Stacey Keebler test got signed a feud is amazing. Oh, it's... Yeah, I've seen it before. Actually, funny story, Jake. Uh, do you remember uh, there was this little thing called uh, The Battle on the Gravel, and uh, that song was resurfaced. Oh, my God, you're right. back. <laughs> oh, my God, you're absolutely right. I, I remember when <laughs> you were talking about that. They were like, remember that amazing video package where we should use that same song? <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, I had fun us? making that one. I oh. think it was like a minute. It went from that to like, Cool for the summer. To, yeah. Like, what a thank you so much for doing that. What a great video package. But anyway, yeah. um, so Stacy is in the middle of this love triangle. Um, I mean, like after Unforgiven, things get even more fucked up. But leads us to that. Um, and yeah, so Stacy's in the middle of this feud all summer. I loved it. I love Stacy Kepler. I think she can do no wrong, and I can't wait for her to talk more about this feud in her Hall of Fame speech. Hopefully she'll have her actual theme music back. Oh God, yeah. What the fuck was that? The still so mad. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with the. Uh, Stacy didn't give us the theme music we wanted. She gave us the theme music we deserved. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um. So anyway, but yeah. So the raw women's. Oh, not raw. Oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh lord, it's it's been a little while since we've done this, folks. Uh, so actually, this is kind of interesting for me. So we're in Raw 2003, June 2003, in Buffalo, my hometown. Two years before I started watching wrestling, we had a uh, Seven Diva Battle Royal, over the top rope battle royal, which mm. is important because I think this is the last one they did before they started doing actual Divas Battle Royal rules. So we would have uh, seven women, uh, including the debuting Gail Kim, all gunning for Jazz's uh, women's championship. And something interesting with this match is that Jazz was injured mid-match and wouldn't be able to finish it. So we were guaranteed a new women's champion. And it ended up being the debuting Gail Kim. 
Oh my god! So what? What this leading up to this? We were getting these like vignettes too for Gail, which was awesome. Oh wait, well before all this though, Jazz had a mini feud with Ivory. Oh god, how could I forget about Ivory? Because WWE did too. She was like one oh. of the first ones tossed out. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, she. Um, and I was really excited about this. I, obviously, like I'm a huge Ivory fan, um, and. I wanted her to have a cardboard cut out of Jazz and beat it up. But um, <laughs> so Ivory was having like this mini feud with Jazz. Um, she was a face, um, like a veteran wrestler is how they were kind of pushing her. And she got a few wins over Jazz. Normally what that means to, um, according to the Candace Michelle theory, is a championship match. Um, Ivory didn't really get her. She got a one-on-one match with Jazz, but it wasn't for the title. So yeah, whatever. Then they just kind of dropped it. We were getting these vignettes for Gail Kim. Um, it was kind of like Matrixy style. Um, yeah, I mean it's relevant cool. for the time because it's around the the time where the last Matrix movie actually came mm-hmm. out. Yeah, it was very. They were very cool. Um, very edgy. Um, we didn't really know what to think. And um, you know, Gail was an Asian woman, which, as in terms of wrestlers, we didn't really see much of um, at this time. So that was very exciting because um, at that time period, like WWE was like mm, only one race per woman, like you know. So like, um, Gail was their fix for that. <sighs> Frustrating, but anyway. So Gail debuts. I remember marking out for Gail Kim. I hadn't really seen her wrestle yet at this time. I had just heard a lot about her. Um, and her theme music was a bop. So yeah. I yeah, love. I still don't know why she never got it for her second run. Right? Like I'm like, why wouldn't they use that song again? Like that was an amazing th- song. Oh my god, what's the thong? Like, um, but... which by the way, you could listen to our golden thongs and granny paintings episode <laughs> wherever you listen to the podcast now. But um, yeah, so she comes out. Um, I was so excited to see her debut. And I was, I love a good battle royal. So I was really just like hyped for this match in general. Um, question though, was Jazz legitimately injured in this match? I, I feel so? like she might've been hurt beforehand. Okay. Um, maybe that was just their way of kind of, you know, passing it off. Cause I, I mean, if they called on the fly, the new girl, you know, winning the title, I mean, that, that's really kind of impressive. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, Khan, I mean, you've been in a battle royal before a rumble style match, I guess. So what kind of goes into uh, the pacing and making sure like everyone's getting ready for uh, the proper eliminations just to be safe with, uh, making sure the match goes as planned. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, it's, it's really, you have to have eyes in the back of your head because everybody's swinging their arms. You don't want to get hit in the back of the head. I myself and all the battle Royals, all three of them that I've been in, uh, typically go through the middle rope and just run around until, you know, it's time for me to come back in. So that's usually my strategy. <laughs> You know, occasionally met with a sit-out face buster and thrown over the top rope. But, you know, it it happens to the best of us. It does. No. My strategy would be the 2011 Galkin Battle Royale strategy. Oh, gosh. (laughs) She slid out of that ring like it was an olive oil slip and slide. (laughs) Did Melina do the same thing in that Battle Royale? Like, did she, she, like, actually get eliminated? She she actually got eliminated that quick. Okay. All right. Actually, wait. I, I, was, was Melina in that battle royal? Yeah, I think so. Well, she she's got fired that next day too. 
No, because I thought she was released like the week before. I don't remember. No, her and Gail were released the same day. Oh. Wow. Um, yep. Shitty situation. Invite her back. But anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah. Okay. This Battle Royale, it's awesome. I remember being so hyped because like we didn't know it was really coming. Um, and it came down to Victoria and Gail Kim. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was excited I was for, to see Gail. I was kind of hoping Victoria would win because I loved Victoria as champ. And I'm telling um, that she was actually getting a lot more uh, pops around that time, too, because she was still yeah. psycho with Stevie and everything. And yep. she was actually eliminating a good chunk of the field. She eliminated Trish. She eliminated Ivory. I think she eliminated Molly Holly as well. She did. She eliminated a good side note, too. I don't think we've talked about this, but after Victoria lost the title, didn't you guys, like, love during her matches where she'd, like, randomly just be like, where's my belt? Like, CV, do you have my belt? Like, oh, and she would still do the entrance, like, as if she had the belt, too. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> she was, um, Lisa is amazing. But, um, so, yeah, so they had this battle royale. Gail Kim wins, which was a very cool moment. We hadn't really seen women debut and win the title their first night. So, good, you know, good for, good for Gail. I'm happy she was a women's champion. It was, it was a very cool moment. Yeah, I think that might actually be the first time in was that or yeah mainstream wrestling I think that's the first time a woman's won a championship in her debut we wouldn't see it again yeah. until page yeah. in 2014 so yeah so but yeah as soon as gil kim won the title uh pretty much later or the next month she lost the title to molly holly so she was yeah. kind of having uh these uh brief series of matches with victoria being that victoria and her were the final two victoria felt like no you're the rookie i'm the veteran let me have the championship and then i guess molly holly would end up one-upping her and take that championship back on raw it was you know it was really unfortunate during this time too because i, I feel like they kind of like threw gail on tv right away and giving her the championship is a lot of pressure um I remember her having a few botches during some of her matches. Um, and, you know, it happens. And when you're the top star right away, it, it's exciting, but it's, it's not necessarily the best move. Because um, where do you go from there? You know, like, you're already on top. The only way you can go is down, to be honest. And it was a lot of pressure right away. And I feel like, honestly, putting the belt on Molly was maybe a snap judgment. On their part, um, I think they were like, okay, maybe she's not the champion we thought she was. Um, we need to put this belt on someone a little bit more, like, maybe dependable, like, skilled, veteran-wise. Um, and Molly wasn't really doing anything at this time, so I guess she was their pick. Right. And then, coming to think of it, I, Molly would actually hold the title for quite a while, too. Like, which almost, is... almost 250 days, I think, or something like that. Yeah, which you kind of forget about because, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen on Raw with the women's division that are mm -hmm. kind of beyond the actual women's title picture, as oh, we'll yeah. get into uh, in just a few. So we start to see that Gail Kim would eventually turn heel and, oddly enough, align herself with Molly Holly and start to take out people left and right, like trying to focus on Trish, especially because Trish was starting to really become one of the only baby-faced women on Raw that was featured regularly. You didn't really see Ivory. You didn't really see Jacqueline too often. Yeah. And, it was the, I, were they... Was Ivory doing commentary at this point? Or no, maybe that was later. But like, no, I think it was... 
no, because Lita was doing commentary and heat around this time still. Okay, right? you're right, you're right, you're right. I think, yeah. I, I remember she made, like, that was later. I remember she made an appearance on, like, an episode of Raw and Eric Bischoff fired her. Right. Um, that was, like, uh, later in April, so that was before, like, she would actually return, return. So I don't know if they just had her out there be- just because she would get a little bit of a pop or if it was because she was actually thought she was cleared at the time. But Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I did... did the Gil heel turn come out of nowhere for you guys, too. Well, I mean, Tom, that's mainly for you. I haven't uh, watched it at the time, so it just felt like, oh, this happened. So, but it did it? Did um, I mean she was a she was a new talent? Maybe they just didn't really know where to go with her. Um, but I mean, as I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but you know, as we know, somebody was coming back, so. Um, you know that I, I'm pretty sure that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, I'm thinking it did too. So kind of we danced around it a little bit before earlier, but going into um, actually no, before we go into Unforgiven, we have to talk about another Diva List pay per view, uh, the classic SummerSlam 2003, because uh, Con, one of your favorites, was starting to get involved in some uh, backstage uh, chicanery, if you will, uh, with one general manager, Stephanie McMahon. Yeah. Yes, yes, my girl Sable, you know, just going at it for for several weeks with Stephanie McMahon. Uh, those two just didn't hold back. I, I honestly love some of their their brawls. It was really an inspiration for for Chris and I most recently. Um, mm-hmm. I would always go back and watch some of their cat fights. So, uh, you did know. you attack each other in the skybox and like force food into each other's mouths? Like, sound <laughs> <laughs> like we're throwing up. <laughs> I didn't make it happen, but I settled for a wedding brawl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, guys, we actually forgot about their cat fight match at Vengeance, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love that match. Uh, the classic no count out cat fight, not like uh, the Miss Kitty Terry cat fight where it's whoever was thrown out of the ring could be, uh, they lost the match. So, to be fair, that is also an iconic match. And if this podcast went back far enough, I would talk. Ray reviews about the Terry Runnels and the cat feud. It's one of my all time favorites. Trash. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Uh, so, Jake, what do you say uh, about us uh, getting ready to talk about this cat fight? Uh, what would I mean if Terry were here? What would she say? Trash. <laughs> I mean, um, about it. <laughs> she, sure, well, I mean, call, they call each other skanks. And like, <laughs> no, wait, that's AC like, Jazz. <laughs> skanks, skanks. I wish she was in a cat fight. But anyway, um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, let's talk about the match. So uh, <laughs> talk about the match. Um, there we go. I wasn't making the connection. It's been a while since we've had Terry in our studios. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> our ceilings are safe. Uh, let's see. There's no uh, armadillos around here. We are good to she go. Can get through the security checkpoint to get in the building. So, <laughs> so um, but anyway, yeah. So this match, um, honestly. Stephanie McMahon really never disappoints, I feel like, in matches. Um, I don't, I think just given who she is, she'll never really get the credit she deserves for her in-ring work. But I think she always delivers. Oh, no, I agree. Like, especially with this match and even, like, going way back into the Attitude Era, her match with Trish at No Mercy, holy crap, that was a good match. Yeah, I, that's one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, she is a stiff worker. I, I 
I, Stephanie doesn't hold back. She's much like her father. She will go out there and you can't, you got to respect like someone who doesn't really have to, but does go out there and lead by example. Yeah. I mean, so uh, we would have this cat fight between her and Sable, very physical too. You would see a lot of dumps to the outside, really taking advantage of the no count out stipulation. Ironically enough, Stephanie tries to incorporate a steel chair, even though the match was no disqualifications and the ref would uh, try to take it away from her. And you'd see Sable try to get the best of her and would actually end up winning the cat fight too. Yeah. Were you guys surprised with that outcome? Yeah, I know. Personally, I didn't expect it. I thought like it was going to be like another false finish or something. And Stephanie would kind of distract or uh, get a surprise win, like maybe with a roll up. I didn't think it was going to end clean by any means, but me either. I was not expecting Sable to win. I really wasn't to either, but, um, you know, it was a pleasant surprise. They kept their feud going a little bit longer. Um, they had another epic cat fight at SummerSlam. Um, Sable, well, Sable, cover girl of the SummerSlam 2003 poster, by the way. The S's were strategically placed over her boobs and badge. Um, so, but uh, she um, comes out with a, with a train and against his match with The Undertaker, um, yawn the men wrestle but then afterwards um, Sable tries to get involved Undertaker grabs her by the hair and Stephanie returns and beats the shit out of Sable god this had everything uh, Sable I mean the classic you hungry Sable you want some food <laughs> <laughs> the visceral like McMahon like screaming at the top of your lungs a trope of any sort of physical encounter uh, also another side note because we're the kings of side notes can we say that All Grown Up is by far the best Stephanie McMahon theme? Absolutely. I, uh, I hate her theme now. It's so boring. But um, uh, All Grown Why did up they was... ever change it? My God. Um, All Grown Up was a bop, but I'm not going to lie. I'm a My Time fan. Um, clearly, it's Stephanie paying tribute to China. So um, I love You know, before... She... Or, no, it was after China thoroughly enjoyed ramming her head into the mat with a demon. <laughs> um, but I loved... I loved when she used my time. Because, like, she used, like, an edit where, like, it just started, like... <laughs> but when she came out, I was, like, the ECW owner with that theme. It was awesome. So I I love my time. It's And her Titantron was so good. She had, like, her crimped hair. And she's, like, standing in front of this, like, steel fence, like, trying to look all sexy and skanky. I'm like, yeah! So, <laughs> love it. Uh, 70s great. She's so underrated. Um, but anyway, um, love the Stephanie and Sable stuff. It kept us going on SmackDown for the summer. Um, and it really, it was great to see Sable be a heel, too, during the second WWE run. I think a lot of us maybe thought she would like do like a face turn, but she never really did a full face turn. She had a sort of mini maybe face turn later in her run, but she was a great heel during the second run. No, I think SmackDown really needed her as a heel too. Cause I mean, aside from Dawn Marie, you really didn't have much going on because Nydia was really stuck with Jamie Noble with the cruiserweight division. And then right. Shaniqua came and went. So oh, yeah, I loved Shaniqua. Uh, she I always wonder what they would have done if she would never ended up joining the Bashams. I don't know. I think that was a great fit for her, um, to be honest. Like, I loved her with the Bashams. I'm like, she could have been, she could have been a really great baby face, I think. Um, 
if they had pushed her right, like, because she had an athletic build, she could have been, like, a powerhouse, but I just, I don't know if they, I don't know if the ring work ever really clicked with her fully. So, I mean, she did have some moments, like, I think about when she was on Velocity with uh, Ivory and Jackie Gata turned on her, and, like, how she would actually take, like, those really hard, like, chair shots, too, which you wouldn't normally see Tori Wilson coming in the ring with a steel chair, but, like, you'd see all the other women trying to get gump on her because she was this mastodon. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I know going into a little bit later next episode, we're going to see kind of a conclusion of Stephanie McMahon's tenure on SmackDown, uh, which would involve, uh, you know, Zach Gallen a little bit, uh, a little bit of Brock Lesnar, and of course her father, which next episode, a little spoiler here, entitled Daddy Issues. Make sure you stay tuned and follow this podcast wherever possible, because we will go into details on the classic father-daughter I Quit match at No Mercy 2003, but but first we have to go back to Raw because uh, Trish is in a handicap match with Gail Kim and Molly Holly. Ooh, I'm, ooh, yeah. So, Trish is, I feel like Trish is, like, go-to she's not champion is to just get, like, the crap beaten out of her. <laughs> like, um, Gail Kim and Molly just start targeting her, um, you know, she was kind of out of the women's title picture for a little bit. I think she was, like, I want to say she was in, like, mixed tags or something like that with Kevin Nash. Am I imagining that right? Yeah, I think he came to her defense, like, a, a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, I, she was, like, in some rando thing that didn't last long. And then um, Molly and Gail started targeting her because, you know, why not? Molly is the women's champion. She can do what she wants. Gail's her lackey. So, yeah, so they start, you know, like, beating the crap out of Trish on a weekly basis, which is appalling. And it leads to a handicap match on the Raw before Unforgiven. So, yeah, this was actually a pretty lengthy handicap match, um, which was surprising. Yeah, and then, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, but isn't uh, this one where, like, the match gets thrown up by DQ when Trish tries to stratisfaction Gail on the outside and Molly hits her with the belt? Mm-hmm, correct. Correct oh. you are. I mean, which is a, a huge bump in itself, too, yeah. so. And then, so then afterwards, they're going to have their way with Trish more, and they're going to um, beat the crap out of her more. And I'll never forget it, so we didn't know Lita was, like, running out yet, but, like, there was a shot of, like, Molly in the ring and she like looks towards the rim and she's like no 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 go like get out get out get out go and then like Lita returns and comes in and this I this was my favorite era of Lita it was so different than what she had been pre um neck surgery honestly so like a neck surgery you pretty much have to revamp a lot of your moveset to be honest yeah. um mm-hmm. and Lita did just that she had a lot more power moves and her DDT is my favorite DDT uh, with like she kicks her leg back and like mm-hmm. the force, <laughs> like holy shit! And then she did that power bomb, like yeah. I, I I was shocked. No, and then on top of that too, I mean Gail had uh, Trish bent over on a steel chair, like with a chair pointed at her head. And yeah. I don't know like what they were gonna plan, but like you see Lita come down like full guns a blazing and starts beating the hot of Gail and Molly. And, like, obviously, you would see her use that DDT, which, by the way, like, Khan, as a worker, something as what we would assume is simple as a DDT can go wrong so many ways. Like, what's something you kind of have to make sure when you're getting ready to perform that move in any circumstance? 
you got to make sure both people are ready. Um, you know, like, I mean, I hate to keep harping on uh, Chris Riddle because I said I'd behave myself. But when I DDT'd him, um, I made sure he was ready. You know, he him not being trained. It's it is it can go wrong. It is a simple move. But um, if not executed right, it, it can be definitely a problem, especially on a chair. No, and then on top of that, too, you also kind of forget that people take DDT so many freaking different ways, too. So it's just like you don't know if they're going to try to go kind of face first, like as an implant or if they're going to try to spike themselves, too. So you also have to be prepared for just how they're going to move with you because you don't want to hold on the wrong way, I would assume, because they need to make sure that they're able to react. So, yeah, with Lita coming back and coinciding with Trish, I think this is probably the first time since, what, 2001 that they were on the same side in some form yeah. of alliance. It was, it was awesome. I, I, Lita's look, too, like she got rid of the baggy pants and the thong, and she had these, like, green cargo shorts on, and they were awesome. Like, the, the fishnet top, so, like, it was, it was a really cool, refreshing look, and then, like, they edited her music differently, so, like, it just, like, goes into the, like, like, part, like, after the intro. Yeah. <laughs> it was badass. God, probably one of the best themes of all time, too. I'm glad that stayed the same. Yeah, thank God. Um, it was awesome. Um, I, the new edit of it, like, really just kind of showed that, like, she was here to make an impact, and it was, it was sick. But um, yeah, so she, um, she and Trish are in a tag team match against Gail and Molly at Unforgiven, um, and this was a really great tag team match. And it was the first time we were really getting a taste of like what Lita could do now that she was like back in the ring. Yeah, and like you really saw like she was starting to be a little bit more technical with the ground game too. Like you'd see more of like the snap suplexes, like the footwork with like her doing the monkey flip into a mount, like mm-hmm. her like kind of staying away from the high flying stuff, but you would still see her do like those nice head scissors, see her nip up. Like she would still use the moonsault, which is kind of crazy to think because you'd think something like that or the leader Kamrana was what hurt her neck in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the match itself was a banger, but, like, going into kind of adapting uh, the moveset and everything, Con, when you're getting ready for, like, any sort of, like, high-impact move that you're getting ready to use on an opponent, like, is it something where you have to really make sure, like, you can trust them to, like, base properly, or if it's something where you don't even consider it, if you just feel, like, in that moment, where like, you know what, it's probably better to do something else just because uh, there's some sort of hesitation, Yes, absolutely. Like you, I mean, the the first thing in wrestling they teach you is like safety is the most important. Take care of yourself and your opponent. Um, so you know, typically you didn't see like, for example, a Brie Bella, you know, facing when you see more like a, T- a Tamina or a or a Nia Jax or a Nikki Bella or a Natty facing. Uh, so it's really, I mean, safety is the number one thing there. So. Absolutely. If, if, you know, and Lita, kudos to her for coming back and, and being able to at least do some of those moonsaults, because even if you are cleared and you are somewhat 100 percent, there's still that fear of, you know, injuring yourself again. So um, it's it's really psychological. Yeah, and to see her combat it and come back as strong as she was for this run where she was pretty much balls to the wall for like the next year until we would see her kind of back in the main women's title picture too. So kind of shows that Lita was reborn. She was out for 
almost a year and a half because of that neck injury and probably better than ever. And we really see her and Trish uh, maintain that uh, stable for quite some time going into the end of 2003, which we'll be discussing next time is the classic Battle of the Sexes tag team match with that dollar bet between uh, Christian and Chris Jericho. So, yeah, a lot of intergender wrestling coming up in the next episode, guys. Yeah, I'm really excited. You know, I love my intergender wrestling, so I'm I'm pumped to talk about next episode. But yeah, this what a summer! Like, so like pretty much all the women had something going on. Um, everyone was used at some point, so it was it was a really really fun summer. It's very unpredictable, um, but again, it ended in a great way with Lita returning. Yeah, I know we kind of talk about the summer of 2014 being like the summer of the divas, but really 2003 had a hell of a lot going for it too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's severely underrated. Right. Oh my god. Well, yeah, you know what's not underrated? What? Golden Memories on the Ring the Bell YouTube channel. Oh yes, by RMJ that's Smith. correct. Yeah. So if you guys haven't checked it out, um. Check out Golden Memories on Ring the Bell. Um, you know, every episode I kind of take a look back at a theme of some kind, or I show off some merchandise, some figures, whatever. Um, I have a few episodes coming up planned. We're doing Elimination Chamber next. I think I'm going to do some Trish stuff, and then depending on who the Hall of Fame person is and stuff around that. Um, and I have like a best um, Mattel action figures coming up as well because. This year, I don't know if you guys, if any wrestling figure collectors, this is the 10th anniversary of Mattel getting the WWE license in 2020. Oh, yeah, you're so, right. Yeah. So I want to, like, take a look back at that and see, like, you know, what were some hits and misses of the last um, 10 years? So that's, I thought it's crazy to me that it was 10 years ago they got the license. Like, I remember going to the store to buy the first wave of figures and trying to find the fucking Beth Phoenix and Santino 2-pack. So. No, and then also something I just totally remembered now, like when they switched over to Mattel, is that even when it was under Jax, they really only had like one little toy belt for the women's title, and that kind of yeah. got discontinued even before the Divas title came out. And Mattel really never made a a women's title belt or even the Divas title until well into like 2017 when they started doing the women's superstars line. Well, the oh, for like to, for like kids. Yeah, like those little toy belts you would get at Target oh, for like 20 bucks. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, no, there was no like kids belt for a long time. Like, and they even like, they weren't around that long too because I I got like the kids Divas title belts for like everyone in my wedding and like the Divas title was gone at that point. And like, it was like hard to find. Um, a WWE shop had one. Um, but yeah, they I, I made if, their own, I think, that. And yeah, then, I don't know if it was, like, they, they were good. They're better, they were better than the Jax ones. But, um, yeah, no, but Jack, I think Mattel's done a decent job with, a, like, a lot of stuff. Um, fun fact, the first women's action figure belt came with the Bella Twins, just so you all know. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it was the Divas title, whatever. But, uh, yeah, no, it's really, it's been a really cool 10 years, and I'm excited to talk about it on an upcoming episode of Golden Memories. So check out that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then I know, Con, you've been uh, pretty busy going around show to show in the Carolina area. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Con, uh, wrestler, manager, just a great person to have in your locker room if you're looking for someone that's young, that's cunning, that has the experience of working for shows and even uh, – 
learning from some of those bigger companies as well to just invaluable kind if you want to let people know where they might be able to find you for future bookings or anything that might be uh thrown your way oh you're gonna make me blush jose Uh, Thank you. But yes, you can find me on the Twitter at, I'm sure Chris has mentioned it several times on this podcast, but at Kano Kelly, you can find me um, for for all your managerial, uh, occasional wrestler needs. Um, Also, I have branched out into doing social media for some promotion. So that is also an option as well. Yeah. So I guess, I guess we have to uh, redirect our complaint tweets once again to at Velvo Holler. (laughs) Yeah, as it was actually very nice of you to come on and co-host with us this episode, too. We're all on much better terms now, aside from uh, that, uh, you know, hacking, DDoSing snafu we might have had a few months ago. But that's all water under the bridge now. Yes, a bridge over troubled water, and that's what I am right now. (laughs) Oh, yes. And then, uh, Jake, so aside from the Ring the Bell channel that we've been able to find you on pretty much pretty regularly now, where else can listeners find you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Jake isn't Jacob, and you can find me on Instagram at Jake not Jacob Smith. So I just really don't like being called Jacob. So yeah, so you can find me on any of those. <laughs> and then I know for me, I have actually the most open schedule I've ever had in my life. So you can find me at the Jose Can You See letters U and C. I've been also on Twitch.tv slash Jose Can You See as well. Uh, actually opening up for any sort of. Uh, local promotions to Western New York and the outside areas. If you're looking for any sort of freelance broadcasting uh, for any sort of uh, commentary, ring announcing, social media, anything for those local promotions, feel free to hit me up at Jose MG live on Twitter. And actually gentlemen, are you all going to be in Tampa in this coming April? I will be. Yes, I I will be there. I'm actually booked. Thank God. Oh, oh my awesome. gosh, that is great. So I guess we're going to have to go see Khan uh, at a show then, Jake, when we're down there, too. Yeah. My very first WrestleMania weekend. I am excited. I, I probably will remember a damn so thing fun. because there will be a drink in my hand every day. Good so. for you. It's a way yeah. to do it. So thank you guys all for listening to this episode of the Golden Era Podcast. Thanks for bearing with us with this kind of little wacky schedule we've been on lately. We will be uh, back next month with another episode, uh, episode nine being Daddy Issues. We're going to be talking about that I Quit match between Stephanie and Vince McMahon, the intergender uh, Battle of the Sexes tag team match at uh, Armageddon 2003, everything in between as well. You can follow us on Twitter at GoldenEra underscore pod, uh, hashtag GoldenEraPodcast on instagram wherever you follow us on your socials shout out to chastity taylor on twitter one of our other co-hosts at chastity taylor with two r's and at chris riddle as well we love you guys we hope you enjoyed this episode give us a rating find us wherever you listen to the podcast normally and we will see you next time take care